Have you ever felt huddled on a ledge, fearing what's to come? What I mean is, have you ever suddenly, out of nowhere, found yourself into an emergency situation? A dark cave is when suddenly you feel trapped. A dark cave is when suddenly you feel a a lacking of a sense of direction. A dark cave is when you feel real fear, and a dark cave is when you feel alone. Maybe you or your loved one suddenly ends up in the emergency room, and it's serious. That's a dark cave. Uh, Maybe you hear your doctor say the word cancer, and you didn't hear anything else they said after that word because it was such a dark cave. Uh, Maybe your spouse has been unfaithful to you. Or maybe your spouse serves you divorce papers, and you know there's no more second chances. That's a dark cave. Maybe you get out of a meeting with your boss and there's been budget cutbacks and suddenly you find yourself middle-aged and unemployed having to provide for your family. That's a dark cave. For some of you this morning, life is good and we rejoice with you. Uh, But listen to this message because you might need it tomorrow. Uh, For some of you this morning, life is okay, it's manageable. But listen to this message because tomorrow your life may become unmanageable. And then for others of you this morning, perhaps you're here and you feel like you are in that dark cave right now today. Listen to this message because it's for you. Now, I know sometimes we end up in the cave because of our own foolish choices. But other times we end up there even though we've done everything right. It may even be because we've done everything right that we end up in that dark place. How does God expect us to respond How can we find peace in the middle of that dark cave? Those are the issues that we face today in Daniel chapter 6. I would invite you to turn there in your copy of God's Word. We're going through our sermon series called When Babylon is Home. See, this series is all about how do we live out our beliefs in the one true God in the midst of a very pluralistic culture which doesn't share or even respect our faith in the one true God. Chapter 6 of Daniel is the final of the historical narrative portion of the book of Daniel, and next week we'll move to the second half in the prophetic visions of Daniel. Uh, But today we finish the first half of the book, and we encounter perhaps what is the most famous story in the book of Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. It's always dangerous to tackle from the pulpit such a well-known story. But today I'm going to rush in where angels fear to tread. But what I'm going to challenge you to do today is pretend that you don't know the story. And I don't care if you've heard it before. Today, I want you to try to hear it for the first time. I want you to hear it as if you didn't know the outcome. The reason is because when you're in the cave, you don't know the outcome. And back then, Daniel didn't know the outcome. And so try to listen with fresh ears today, if you will. You will see in chapter 6 three distinct movements. You'll see the plot, the den, and then the purpose of God. The plot, the den, and then the purpose of God. We'll pick it up with verse 1. If you're ready, say amen. Amen. Verse 1 says this, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, which were like governors, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Now, contextually, at this point in our story, remember, King Nebuchadnezzar is gone. Belshazzar, who we met last week, is dead. 
At this point, a new empire is in power. The silver arms of the statue, the the empire of Medo-Persia has replaced the head of gold of Babylon. And now this man named Darius is in power and he was one of King Cyrus's generals from Medo-Persia. Let's go on, as it says then in verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And see, Daniel, we see here, not only survives in Babylon, but he thrives in Babylon. Our main character, Daniel, you may not know this at this point, uh, but as I was studying and kind of adding up the math, Daniel is actually between 80 and 90 years old in chapter 6 of this book. Every picture I've ever seen of Daniel in the lion's den, he looks like a young man. That's not the truth. And so let me challenge you, for those of you here in our audience who are up there in your golden years, who knows, your most significant challenge, your most significant moment with God may still be yet in the future, so let me encourage you to finish well. There's one problem with Daniel's behavior, though. It creates difficulties and conflict with his enemies. Take a look at verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Exactly what their problem with him here was, we're not told. Some say they were jealous of Daniel because of his position of power and his success. Some say he was in their way. With him around watching all the time, he was restricting their ability to cut corners or use their power manipulatively for their own gain. But whatever the reason, they began to resent Daniel. Not because he did anything wrong, but because he did everything right. Now, believer, that might happen to you. Sometimes we think if we're doing the right thing, then everything will go well for us. Not necessarily. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a promise. You know, sometimes I see these books in the Christian bookstore that are collections of God's promises in them. I don't usually see this one listed in their promises. But yet, here it is. In all seriousness, this is a reality. God says to us as his children, this is something that I should expect. I should not find it to be strange when I face a fiery uh, trial. Uh, if you try to do what's right, you might get mocked uh, for, for being kind of a goody two-shoes at school. Uh, if you try to do what's right, you might get pressure from your coworkers to cut the same corners that they cut so that they don't get in trouble. You might get ridiculed. That's what happens here with Daniel. They seek to take him down. So they get this idea to hatch a plan. Look at verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Here's what they knew. If they could somehow position and put Daniel in in a situation where he would have to choose between the law of the Medes and the Persians and the law of his God, they knew he would always choose the law of his God because he always had. Verse six, 
Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. The king should establish an ordinance that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So there's their sinister conspiracy. They conspired together to create a conflict between the law of the land and the law of Daniel's God. Anyone praying to anyone except the king will be put to death. And then the king agrees. And then the king signs it. And in those days, a law signed by the king of the Medes and Persians could not be changed or revoked. And so we here we have for Daniel what is an impossible choice. Daniel can choose to be faithful to his God. Or he can bow down and pray to the king like everybody else. And we wonder, what will he do? And we wonder, what would I do? Now, I know you've heard this story before, but please pretend like you haven't. As we look at Daniel's response, you'll see in verse 10 what he did. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed... He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Wow. Daniel chooses to, as he always has, chooses to turn his face toward God and pray. And brothers and sisters, when you face an impossible situation, you have two choices as well. You can either panic or you can pray. You can panic or you can pray. Now, one of those things is going to lead you wrong. And one of those things is going to lead you right. One of these things is going to lead you to all kinds of wrong responses. But one of those things is going to lead you towards God's power. He instructs us to take everything to him in prayer. Let me remind you of Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Notice that word, everything. Because sometimes I think, you know, this issue isn't really spiritual, it's vocational. Or sometimes we think, you know, this issue isn't really spiritual, it's medical. Sometimes we think, well, this issue isn't really spiritual, it's legal. No, friends, everything is in God's world, and the Scripture says we can bring everything, everything, everything to God in prayer. Now, how about you? When you face your own situation in crisis, will you panic? Or will you, like Daniel, get down on your knees and say, Lord, here I am, I need you. Oh, how I need you today. You see, that's what Daniel chose to do in our story. Now, here's Daniel, and I want you to notice one more thing in that verse. It says, as he had done previously. This was not a new habit for Daniel. This is doing what he always had done. This is why prayer needs to be a habit in your life already before you face the crisis situation. Whenever a crisis happens, we all have habits, don't we? Some of us, whenever a crisis comes, we get so angry, we rage. Some of us, when we panic, we just get paralyzed and we do nothing, hoping that someone will come and rescue us. Some of us, when we panic, we have this old behavior, this old comfort, 
that's just so natural for us. And when the trial comes, that's what we turn to for some source of peace, even though we know it's wrong, even though we know it's destructive to us and to those around us. But what I'm suggesting to you is this is why prayer needs to become a spiritual habit so that it's just natural for you when the crisis comes. That's what Daniel does, as he had always done. Then here's what happens, verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Now they've got him right where they want him. He's guilty. They have caught him in the act. They have caught him red-handed. And so it says they bring this to the king's attention. And then dropping down to verse 14, it says, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. Suddenly the king becomes very Troubled, but he's not troubled because someone is defying his edict. He's troubled out of his respect for Daniel. He's really wrestling with this here throughout chapter 6. Can I just pause the book of Daniel and just ask you, does this story remind you of anything? A group of power brokers coming with a plot to get rid of an innocent Jewish man because of their jealousy, bringing him before a Gentile ruler to be killed? Hold that thought. Notice, it says they came by agreement. That's the Hebrew phrase they conspired together found in Psalm chapter 2. Why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain to conspire together against the Lord and against his Messiah? Ultimately, that's quoted by Peter in Acts chapter 4 as a prediction of what the Pharisees and Pilate would do in the first century to get rid of Jesus. There's so many parallels in this story and that story, which I'll come back to later. First, back to the book of Daniel and what's going on here. They bring this to the king's attention, and though he's troubled, laws like this couldn't be changed, and so there's really nothing at this point he could do. And so it simply tells us in verse 16, then the king commanded... And Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Now, in terms of cultural background, we do know that lions were kept by ancient Near Eastern monarchs at various times, mostly because killing them was deemed the sport of kings and proof of your royal power. Indeed, the lion figure more generally became a common symbol for royalty. And so the lion's den, or pit, was a contained space where these beasts were kept, and it was used for a particularly vicious form of capital punishment to teach traitors and those watching an unforgettable lesson. This technique for capital punishment is not unique to the book of Daniel. As we know later, the Roman Empire used lions in the Colosseum to put the early Christians to death. In fact, At least one time, according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says that he was facing the threat to be thrown to the lions. But this was such a brutal and inhumane and bloody practice, it's hard to even imagine what this would be like. I don't know about you, but all week after dinner, I was turning on the Discovery Channel and watching Shark Week. How many of you also, you're with me this week? It's Shark Week, okay? So what's better after you finish your dinner than to turn on the TV and watch sharks eating people? So uh, it's all good fun. I remember this one particular uh, anecdote about the killer whales. 
And you think, you go to SeaWorld and you see Shamu, killer whales, how could that be a problem? But then you see they, they actually hunt in packs, two or three of these killer whales, and they go after the great white sharks. And so they kept finding these great white sharks, like, dead on a beach, uh, but they weren't really, uh, the only thing really missing was a big chunk out of their stomach, and their liver was gone. And so according to this documentary, they were saying that the killer whales are so smart that they know the liver being rich in protein, they would do this surgical strike and just rip out the liver from this great white shark and then just leave it to die there and then it would wash up on the shore. Just gruesome, just bloody, just horrible. Uh, It's all good fun, right? After every July, you got to tune in to Shark Week. Pretty gruesome. But as I was watching that, I couldn't help but to think, about this gruesome, brutal, inhumane practice of throwing Daniel to these wild beasts. And yet that's what they did. And then just to seal the deal, it tells us in verse 17, and a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet. So Daniel is placed in this cave and a stone is set in place. Does this sound familiar to anybody? It looks like it's curtains for Daniel, doesn't it? Now, I don't care if you know this story. And I don't care if you know what's going to happen. At this point, Daniel didn't know what was going to happen. Nobody did. In fact, everybody was probably thinking, I know what's going to happen to him. It's just like what happens to everybody else who gets thrown in the lion's den. They're going to get ripped to pieces and crushed, and they're going to die in there. So here's Daniel. He's 80-something years old. He was taken away as a teenager to Babylon. He's been living there his whole life. He's interpreted all those dreams. He's seen so much. He's even seen the great Babylonian empire rise and fall. He's seen kings come and go. He's been faithful to God right up until the end, and now he's thrown into this den of lions, and there he sits praying to the Most High God. And we as readers are wondering, is this it? Is this the end? So this guy devotes his whole life to serving God, and now it's over? Mark this down. You do not have a situation into which the Most High God cannot intervene. You do not have a situation into which the Most High God cannot intervene. The enemy will try his best to roll that stone over every situation in your life and put his signet ring on it and seal it shut. The enemy will tell you, hey, your job, that's not going to get any better. Your prodigal son, they're not coming home. Your marriage for 20 years that's been so troubled, you think there's no hope? Whatever it is, there is no situation that is outside of God's ability to intervene on your behalf because no stone is ever an obstacle for the most high God. Listen to the words of Dr. Ed Welch, one of my favorite Christian counselors. God prefers the impossible. Although he often cares for our needs before we know we have them, his mighty acts are showcased best against the backdrop of insurmountable odds. That's true back then, and that's true today. So here's Daniel. He's trapped inside the den. Let's see what happens next. Verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled 
from him. Now, notice again, this is not Daniel fasting like he did in chapter 1. This is the pagan king fasting on Daniel's behalf. 19. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, can you just imagine this moment right here? I don't care if you know this story. There's this question yelled from kind of outside the cave in a voice of desperation. The king is there and he hasn't slept all night. He comes down out of a desperate concern for what he has done. And then there's this pause. Now, why in the world would he think that there could be any hope? Why would he go check? He knows what was going to happen. It's over. Time to move on. Right, Darius? Still, he goes kind of hoping against hope that maybe there's this chance that that God that Daniel prays to and that God that Daniel talks about and that God that Daniel serves actually can hear and actually is alive. And then a voice comes back from inside the cave and Daniel says, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. Wow. Incredible. Even in the cave, God is able to show himself strong. He is always with his children. What is impossible with man is possible with God. I'm reminded of the words of Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him, and I will show him my salvation. Psalm 91. That's what Daniel found to be true. That was true back then, and that is still true today. Let me go back to that story of those boys trapped in the cave in Thailand. 18 long days they were trapped in there. And every day it was supposed to rain. Even on the news, they would show students all over Thailand and all over the world, people praying that it wouldn't rain. And the rain never came. Until over two weeks later, 
right after every single boy was rescued from the cave, the second they got the boys out of the cave, it started to pour. They couldn't even get their tools back out of the cave. Friends, the rain was delayed for 18 straight days and it flooded the cave the minute the boys were safe. I don't care what anybody says. That's God. That's the power of God. I was following that story very closely. And one of those young boys was a Christian. In fact, he was sponsored through Compassion International. You may be familiar with that Christian children's charity. How would you like to be that, that, your child? Whoa. Listen to the statement that his parents made to the press. They said this. We are so happy to hear that our son is out of the cave and to welcome him home. It's the love that God gives to our family. God has great love and there's nothing he can't do. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing he can't do. Can we say that together? There's nothing he can't do. As the children's song says, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. I think Daniel would agree. I'm reminded of the words from Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? So that means don't count them out. And that means don't sell them short. And that means you can trust him. Daniel says, my God has shut the lion's mouth. And then he goes on to say this, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Daniel is alive and he is testifying to the grace and glory of God. And then it says in verse 23, then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. That's why. Why were the lion's mouths shut? Because Daniel was stronger than them? Because the lions were tired? Because the lions weren't hungry that night? No, it was because Daniel had trusted in his God. Notice the contrast here in the story. We're meant to observe that this pagan king was in a sort of anguish. He was waiting. He was desperate. He was wondering what's going to happen to the point where he couldn't even sleep. But then there's Daniel who's just spent a comfortable night leaning back on a warm, fuzzy lion, (laughs) conversing for hours with the angel of God about heavenly things. Can you imagine the sweet fellowship that Daniel had that night with God? I think the contrast between the king and Daniel in this story is there to teach us a lesson. Who is the one who has the real power here? And the question for you and for me when we are in the cave is that same question. Will I place my trust in God? How about you? I have a real concern with this story. And the concern is that this story is so familiar to us that we don't get it anymore. Or we assume we know everything there is to know about this story. Or like it's just a little nice Sunday school kid's story. 
And we treat it kind of like it's a fable. What a shame. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit has breathed this into the Word of God for us, not only to tell us that this is historically true, but it is in the Scriptures to teach us and encourage us with this one powerful truth. Our God is still able to preserve and protect His children back then and today. Even in the most difficult times, even in the darkest caves of our lives, He calls you and me to trust Him just as Daniel did. Now, let me just answer an objection. You might say, well, Pastor Dave, if God is so strong and so mighty, then why didn't he just stop Daniel from being thrown into that lion's den in the first place? Why not avoid this whole thing to begin with? And how come it seems like sometimes he doesn't intervene, even though I pray? Or that story in Thailand, what if it did rain? Because sometimes, let's be honest, it seems like God does allow terrible tragedies. Or in my life, Pastor Dave, why is God allowing tragedy to strike me? Why does he allow this thorn in my side that seems to press deeper every day? And that is a very good question. And we know that there is some great mystery in the will of God and that his ways are not our ways. But allow me to say this with all sensitivity There is a lesson from the scriptures that we do need to learn, and you may need to learn it today. There are three possible outcomes for the children of God in these types of situations. Sometimes, God keeps us from the den. And we don't even know how often God in his grace does that for us. It's probably countless times in our lives that he has placed over us that hedge of protection and told our enemies, you may come this far, but no farther. And God protects us in his mercy from the den. That's one option. Another option is that God keeps us through the den. See, God could have kept Daniel from this whole ordeal, but that was not his purpose. There were lessons that Daniel and those around him and us today could only learn by Daniel going into the den of lions. This is very important. We need to realize that God is not always committed to our comfort. He is not always as committed as I am to my life going smoothly. No, God is committed, first of all, to sanctifying my character, and most of all, to demonstrating his own glory. And in fact, sometimes he will take me into the cave to do so. In fact, let me just say, it's probably in the cave where he does his best work. It's into that season of temporary deprivation for my own purification. Look at the words of Brian Chapel. Deprivation will hold your, hone your dependence and prepare you for devotion and a new season of fruitfulness. See, this is important. Often people think that God must always choose option A. That if we have favor with God, then God will protect us always and preserve us from times of great difficulty and fear. I don't see that in the book of Daniel. I don't see that anywhere in the whole Bible. People who say that, I'm like, are you getting that from the Bible? What Bible are you reading, man? If you honestly feel that because you have faith in Jesus, as a result, he has promised you a tragedy-free life, no hurts, no enemies, no sicknesses, no financial problems. If you think Jesus promised to keep you in a protective bubble where nothing bad can ever happen to you. The problem with that way of thinking is that not only is it a false teaching, but when you get hit hard by those things when they come, and they will come, 
Rather than running to Jesus for comfort and for help, you will run away from him out of anger and disappointment with God, and you will become bitter with the Most High God himself. And that is a very dangerous place to be. The truth of the scriptures, the truth of Daniel, is that often he brings us into these seasons of great trial, and they're, they're hard, they're difficult, they're grueling. But if we know and love God, then it's never senseless. It's always purposeful to refine me, to prepare me for what's ahead, and for greater, greater fruitfulness for him. That's what we've seen today. But we must acknowledge that at other times... God has a different outcome for his children and that God uses the den to deliver us to himself. We know throughout the scriptures and throughout church history that for every Daniel who got delivered out of the den, there are countless other martyrs who stood firm to the end and God took them home. We know our fellow believers face this kind of thing even right now across the globe. And at times, our fellow Christians even face this here in the United States. I remember hearing on the news on October 1st, 2015, at a community college in Oregon, there was an active shooter. And the gunman said to the students there, which of you are Christians? And then those who stood up, to them he said, well, now you'll meet your God in just a moment. Those were Christians who stood for their testimony, like Daniel, saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, despite the risk, despite the danger, and the world was watching. Now, were those believers less faithful than Daniel? No. It's just that God had another purpose for their lives, to stand firm for his name. But though their lives were taken... Their witness lived on beyond them, and the kingdom of God continues to grow and march forward. And so we see that for the child of God, there are several possibilities. But whatever he chooses to do, whether it's A, B, or even C, we always have the opportunity to glorify God no matter the outcome. And if you would have asked Daniel... See, in this story, God could have chosen option A. But if God had done that, not only would Daniel have missed the lion, Daniel would have also missed the angel that shut the lion's mouth. And if you would have asked him, he would probably say, I wouldn't trade that night for anything. Because in it, I had the opportunity to experience a glorious intimacy with God himself. So whatever happens, let me just challenge you. Whether it's A, B, or C, trust God. To trust God. Let me finish the story, 24. The king, after he found out, he commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the lion's den of lions. They, their children and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So I guess the lions were hungry. This is a vicious description, and I I realize that. It's not that the scriptures are saying this is good or not. The scriptures are just saying this is what is. Back then, if anyone was found to undermine the authority of the king 
or betray the king. That person was immediately put to death because they wanted to get rid of any kind of treasonous plotting. They would also execute their family. Why? Because they were trying to stop any revenge. That's what Darius does. Now, watch what Darius does next. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree, now listen to this decree, that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Booyah! Now notice, these last few verses are not just a theological summary of this story. It is a summation of all we have learned from chapter 1 to chapter 6. And it's crazy to me, these words come out of a pagan king's mouth. And then he says, listen to the words of the decree. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Isn't that something? On top of all God has done for Daniel in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Now, Daniel had the opportunity to see a worldly king become impressed by our great God. Here he is, far away from home, far away in exile, in Babylon, and yet here the Most High God is praised by this foreign king. Amazing. And then the chapter ends with this one verse. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So let's ask this question about verse 28 as we close. Why was Daniel so prosperous? Why was he so effective when Babylon was home? The reason is because Daniel had learned, like we need to learn, to live as a pilgrim and sojourner and foreigner in his land. Daniel learned to be in the world, but not of the world. Daniel is effective in the city of Babylon because three times a day he turned his face toward the city of God. And so Daniel knew in his heart of hearts, despite what the edict might have said about who he should pray to, and despite who was on the throne in Babylon, he knew who was really on the throne of the universe. And Daniel knew who was in control. So I wonder if Daniel could come and just address us today what he would say to us in our culture about living faithfully to the Most High God in our day. I believe he would tell us, with all the temptations that surround us, and there are many, Don't ever bow down to any idol or anyone or anything but the Most High God. Even in our day, we're surrounded by temptations to bow down in our own culture, aren't we? If you're in business, everybody does it this way. If you want to survive in this business, you've got to cut this corner. You've got to bow down. That's just the way it is. Teenagers, mom... I have to dress like this. Everybody else is dressing like this. All the moms are like, amen. Teenagers are like, be quiet, Pastor Dave. Everybody talks like this. Everybody does it this way. Everybody's kids have all this stuff. That's just how it is. You got to bow down. 
We're surrounded by these temptations. But Daniel would say to us, don't bow down. Trust me, I've seen the throne of the universe. Darius wasn't on it. Neither is that idol that you think is so important. Whatever you do, don't bow down. Only the Most High God is worthy of your worship. And even if it costs you everything, it's better to die in loyalty to the Most High God than to live for some fake idol. Place your trust in him and may he alone be sovereign in your life and may all those around you know that your God is the living God who endures forever. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team forward at this time. And as they come, I do want to make one last point. How are we supposed to find the strength not to bow down? How are we supposed to find the strength in that dark cave? Where do you get the courage to face those times in life? Because here's the reality. The scriptures don't teach us that we do that in our own power. The scriptures do not teach us that we are to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and just carry on. In fact, I'll be honest with you, in your own strength, you might not be able to face that dark cave by yourself. As a matter of fact, if you told me about those lions in your life and what they looked like and what you were facing, I'd say, you know what? You're probably not going to be able to handle those lions by yourself. You're probably going to be crushed by those lions in your own strength. But here's the good news of the gospel. The reason you can have the strength to face the darkest caves of your life is because the Bible teaches that Jesus already faced the darkest cave on your behalf. Like Daniel, Jesus was innocent and there was no fault found in him. Like Daniel, Jesus too was falsely accused by his jealous enemies. Like Daniel, Jesus too stood condemned to death before a great pagan ruler. And like Daniel, Jesus too was sent away to be brutally executed. And like, Jesus, like Daniel, Jesus too was placed in a cave. And like Daniel, a stone was rolled in front of the entrance of that cave and it was sealed shut. And the reason we love Daniel, the reason we long for Daniel, the reason we have so much respect for for Daniel is because God has placed inside of us a hunger and a thirst for a true and greater Daniel. And Jesus is that true and greater Daniel who faced the dark cave of death on our behalf. Because here's what the Bible says. All of us are weak. All of us are without strength. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We could all take a rock and try to throw it to the Empire State Building. Some of you might throw it farther than me, but we would all fall short. And that's the bad news. And the worst news is that the Bible says the wages of that sin is death. In that story, we are actually like Daniel's enemies who are guilty. And the wages of our sin is to be punished and thrown into the mouth of the lions into a place of punishment. That is the bad news. But the good news of the gospel is this. Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was almost like you were a patient on the operating table and you had terribly bad cancer blood cells in your system. And Jesus came and lived the life that you should have lived. And he said, I'll give you all of my good blood and I'll take all of your bad blood, and I will die in your place. I will get thrown to the lions on your behalf. And when he got thrown to the lions, they absolutely devoured him. And he really did die. And he died the death that you and I should have died. And that's the good news of the gospel, that because he died, we can be made clean. 
Because he died, he gave us his righteousness and we could be made right before God. That's the gift of salvation, but not everyone receives that gift. You say, how do you receive that gift? You receive that gift, the Bible says, by grace through faith, by trusting in him and him alone to save you. Just like you trusted in that chair when you came in today, you may not have known it, but you made a decision to trust in that chair to hold up your weight. Just like that, you make a decision to trust in Christ and him alone to get you into God's presence one day. That's the good news of the gospel. And here's why the good news is so good. Because Jesus lived the perfect life you and I should have lived, because Jesus died that perfect death that I deserve to die, and because he faced the lion's den on my behalf, that means when I come to face the cave of my death, God himself will shut the mouths of the lions on my behalf because my judgment has already been taken by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I will not be crushed Instead, I will be ushered into his glorious presence because of his grace and his grace alone. And now, because he's conquered victoriously the, 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 the grave, Satan, sin, and death by rising again, he has given us the victory and allowed us to face those dark caves in our lives. That's the way we do it. We don't do that in our own strength. I don't have to muster up the courage to get through the cave. I can rest in Jesus. I can say, Jesus, I'm resting in what you've accomplished on my behalf, and now I'm resting in your power that you've placed on the inside of me to face whatever situation may come, because you are with me always, even to the end of the age. Amen? Amen? Can we pray?